We are continuing through our Lenten sermon series with our passage being basically Psalm 96, talking about aspects of worship that draw us closer to God. We've talked about singing God's praise. We've talked about the proclamation of the gospel. We've talked about adoring God through prayers and those sorts of things. And today uh, we come to uh, that part of worship that we typically refer to in the bulletin as the offertory, uh, giving an offering. Uh, So uh, I will read this uh, selected verses for us. Psalm 96, I'll begin to read at verse 7 and read through verse 10. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Perhaps you heard about the man who had a heart attack. He was, of course, rushed to the hospital. And the doctors were going to treat him over the next few days and they didn't want him to have hardly any visitors nor did they want him to get excited in any way as they were giving him his treatment. But it just so happened while he was in the hospital that a a, a wealthy uncle of his died and he was to inherit a million dollars and his family had this quandary about how are we going to uh, give him this sad news, but yet somewhat exciting news in an unexciting way. And so they decided they'd get the preacher to do it. So the preacher was on his way to the hospital, and he was trying to figure out how he was going to bring up this bad news, but at the same time give him the good news, and all without exciting him too much. And so he decided maybe to sort of bring up the subject in a roundabout way, he would treat it like a hypothetical question. So he gets in his room, and he says to him, Fred, what do you think you'd do if you inherited a million dollars? And Fred thought a moment or two, and he said, Well, I think I'd give half of it to the church. And the preacher dropped dead. (laughs) Now, I didn't tell that just to tell a joke. I want us to think about why that joke works. Why is it funny? I mean, I don't know too much about the psychology of humor, but is it not funny because that would be ridiculous, we would think. Most people in our society would think that would be ridiculous for someone to inherit a million dollars and turn around and give 500000 of it to their local church. So ridiculous that the preacher is overwhelmed and dies on the spot. 
we sort of like to hold on to what we perceive is ours. For those of you old enough, you know that Jack Benny had a wonderful, uh, a wonderful career as a comedian, making stingy jokes. Now, two weeks ago, in this sermon series, we talked about how praise oftentimes leads somewhere. And on that particular Sunday, we talked about how praise leads to proclamation. Oh, sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Proclaim that salvation from God in Jesus Christ. Praising God for who He is and remembering what He has done leads us to proclaim the fact that He's a loving and saving God. And we remember and proclaim all that He's done for us through the gift of Jesus Christ who came into this world and lived a perfect life and sacrificed that perfect life on the cross for your sins and for mine. In other words, it's the good news of the gospel. Now, as we continue through this Psalm 96 into our passage today, uh, verses 7 through 10, we see that praise leads somewhere once again. It not only leads to proclamation but it also leads to generosity. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. In other words, assign to God what is rightly His. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Now, there are several different Hebrew words that can be translated as offering in the Old Testament. But this particular word used in Psalm 96 means a grain or a cereal offering or an offering of oil that would have been given in the temple. In other words, a non-blood type of offering. And it can also mean the gift or tribute that subjects would bring to their king. And at this point, I want us to make sure we're not confused by certain terms that we hear around here or see on a regular basis, like in your bulletin every Sunday, where it says presentation of God's tithes and our offerings. Scripture clearly teaches that there are both tithes and offerings. Those are technically two different things. Now, they are similar in lots of ways. Both are given as a form of worship. Uh, Both uh, help the work of the kingdom. Uh, Both help with the worship of God's people. But they are somewhat different in how they're defined in the Bible and requirements placed upon them. The interesting and sad thing is that we can literally rob God both through our tithes and our offerings. And when we use that term rob, we're referring to that famous passage in Malachi 3 where God, through the prophet Malachi, says to the sons of Jacob, Return to me and I will return to you. But you say, How shall we return? And then God says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you say, how are we robbing you? And God answers that question by saying, in your tithes and offerings. 
Now, I bring that up to say that that word for offerings there in the Hebrew in Malachi 3 is the same word in Hebrew used in our text in Psalm 96. Of course, the word tithe means 10%. 10% right off the top, and the tithe belongs to the Lord, not to anyone else. It belongs to the Lord according to teaching in Leviticus 27. In Old Testament times, offerings were given beyond the tithe to help with the temple worship as did the tithes. In fact, some offerings helped keep the priests alive, the Levitical priests, and supplied with food. So, you may be thinking, why are we talking about something that's commanded in the law? Which is a good question since we believe that the ceremonial law has been abrogated in the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If that's true, why talk about tithes and offerings at all? Well, we have to remember that scripturally speaking, we see the principle of the tithe well before the law was ever given. We see it the first time in Genesis 14 when Abraham gives Melchizedek, the king of Salem, ties of the spoils of a battle that he's just waged. And you know, that, that was hundreds of years, as I say, uh, before the law came. We also see the tithe with Jacob in Genesis 28. And the point is that the tithe was a way of life for the patriarchs. And so we have to assume that God communicated that to them in some way or another. We don't see Him communicating it to them in the book of Genesis, but but we have to assume that. And this principle of the tithe was then included in the law, but is also both mentioned and implied in several places in the New Testament. That's also why we still talk about tithes and offerings because we see both terms in the New Testament. In Matthew 23, in one of his exchanges with the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus affirms that the tithe is worthwhile for God's people. It's something we should do, as he puts it there. Paul speaks to it in 1 Corinthians 9 as it pertains to the life of the church and those who serve full time. And the writer of Hebrews mentions it in his seventh chapter when he's talking about that entire Abraham and Melchizedek story where he links the tithe directly to Jesus as the head of the church. We also see offerings referred to in the New Testament but usually not in that term, not that word. Usually we see it referred to as the relief of the saints or help for the poor or for the service of the ministry. And it's apparent from these passages in the New Testament, especially 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that offerings are given beyond the tithe as the Lord leads. What we need to remember in all of this discussion is that the tithe was never set up as some sort of limit as to what we give to the work of God's kingdom. You know, sometimes in our day and time, I think a lot of people think, well, if I tithe, that's got it. You know, that's got it covered. 
Well, I don't think God ever uh, assumed that the tithe was going to be the limit of, of what we give. In fact, Larry Burkett, the founder of Christian uh, Financial Concepts, it used to be a radio program out of Gainesville, Georgia, back in the uh, probably 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, which eventually became part of Crown Ministries. And uh, he's dead, by the way, right now. And that's why I say he used to teach that the Jew who was under the law was encouraged uh, to give right at 23% of his income between tithes and offerings. Now, I'm not telling you to give, you need to give 23%, but I'm trying to get to a point that Burkett liked to make, and that is that the law of grace means that you and I are not compelled to give anything by a written rule or law. Because grace is unmerited, it's unearned favor of God. But as Burkett used to say, grace is not a license to do nothing. As Paul said in Romans 7, 7, the the law was given to show us sin. And and Burkett liked to say, we who are under grace can surely outdo those who were under the law. You see, this is where the notion of worship comes in to play in this entire discussion. As we've already stated in previous sermons, Psalm 96 is a call to worship and speaks of several different parts of worship, all within the context of God's presence in His sanctuary before His people. And here in our text today, we see uh, the words, the command to bring an offering. Uh, Because our giving to God is one of the many ways in which we worship Him. In fact, in an old uh, worship textbook that I have from my seminary days, one scholar said, the divine giving is, in the Christian scheme of worship, the inspiration of human giving. In other words, what God has given to you and me and Jesus Christ and so much more is the inspiration for our own giving. And we see that in the New Testament church. Having heard uh, the proclamation of the gospel of good news, having praised God for who He was, having sung His praises, the early church brought in its gifts of bread and wine. That is to say an offertory took place. These early Christians believed there could be no worship without sacrifice, just as we see in this psalm before us. God gave for them. He gave His only Son, and and they responded with their, their substance, their gifts as symbols of their very devotion, their reverence, their worship, their sacrifice for God. And like the early church, we too continue to receive an offering. Gifts that are both tithes and offerings for the work of God's kingdom, for the proclamation of the gospel, for the relief of the poor, for education, worship, and fellowship, for all manner of ministries and needs, including salaries for equipping the church in the work of the kingdom. Since Scripture teaches that the tithe belongs to the Lord, I've always interpreted that as the tithe from my family goes directly 
to the general fund of the church. Because that's as close as getting it to the Lord in the local church as I can get. Then the officers, called and gifted by God, elected by the congregation and enlightened by the Holy Spirit, make the decisions about what priorities need to happen in this ministry-based budget which we utilize in the life of this congregation. And then they put that proposed budget before the congregation and you vote on it. That's how our budget operates. And that's the picture we see in Scripture of the entire church working together in order to move forward God's will for His people in this place. Then offerings, those gifts above and beyond the tithe, can then go where we believe the Holy Spirit wants them to go. You and I make that call. You know, whether our offering goes to the Salvation Army or to the Memorial Garden Fund or to Samaritan's Purse or to Hope House or to Family Promise, you know, all of those and more, World Relief, our favorite missionary or missionary families, all of that and more are places where offerings can be given, offerings that are over and above the tithe. But the key to our giving is not just the attitude to be obedient to the will of God, as important as that is. The key is that first we give ourselves to the Lord. That's what Paul says about those Macedonian Christians there in 2 Corinthians 8 when he's talking to the church of Corinth. And he says, you know, these Macedonians have been so generous because first they gave themselves to the Lord. I'll quote Larry Burkett one more time. Once a Christian has gone beyond the first step of giving himself to the Lord, he or she is in a position to give in love from their possessions. Why? Because they've yielded their will to the God of love who is working in and through them for the benefit of others. Thus, surrendering to God is where giving begins. And like the psalmist, we surrender to God when we acknowledge that He's in control, that He's worthy both of our praise and our obedience because He reigns, because He rules forevermore as the psalmist proclaims in verse 10 in our text. Now, to answer the question because our sermon series has the title, Aspects of Worship That Draw Us Closer to God. How does your giving and how does my giving, week in and week out, draw us closer to God? I think the easy answer to that question is that God loves a cheerful giver, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 9. We know that God loves us unconditionally, so I don't take that to be a causal statement. That is to say, God isn't loving us because we give. You know, obviously, God loves us unconditionally. But God loves a cheerful giver because a cheerful giver is more like God Himself. That's who God is. He's a God who gives cheerfully to all of His people. Now, the more difficult way or perhaps the deeper 
way to answer how our giving draws us closer to God is to notice how Jesus is referred to at certain places in the New Testament and that's where this word offering is operative in the New Testament. For example, in Hebrews 7, we read, He, meaning Jesus, has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. He did this once and for all when He offered up Himself. And then in Hebrews 10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And then think about Ephesians 5, the opening verses there where Paul says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, if we're going to be an imitator of God then we offer ourselves to Him and we yield to His rule, which means that we understand that all that we are and all that we have belong to Him. And when we bring offerings to God, we are in essence imitating Him, imitating this God who is the giver of every good and perfect gift, as Susan talked with Miles just a minute ago. And we're also imitating the Lord Jesus, at least in some small way, the one who offered His own life that we might live forevermore. This is why the psalmist insists that we ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And part of that ascription of praise is to bring an offering and to come into His courts. And may we always do that to His honor and glory. Amen. 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 Let's pray together.